Hey, thanks for checking out this week's message. We hope you're blessed by the Word of God. For more information on River of Life, you can check out our website, rolmt.com, or download our app. Just search R-O-L-M-T in your app store. Thanks. Hey, what's up, church? How are we doing today? Now, if you notice, I'm not Canadian, which means that I'm not Dwayne. Uh, we're, all, we're all kind of bummed out that, that Dwayne couldn't make it for these next couple weeks, um, but I'm excited uh, that I get to um, fill in his, his place and, and to help you feel, make, yes, exactly, to give you that Canadian feel. I'll throw a couple A's in there to make sure you're getting, you're get, you still feel like you're getting that experience. I'm just joking. I've never heard Dwayne preach, so um, that's, I'm, I'm sure he doesn't say A while he's preaching, um, although he is Canadian. So anyway, i oh, sorry. Hey, it's my favorite time of the year, right? Summer is over. Yes. I know that's like a, uh, it's a cardinal sin of being from Montana is is being excited that the summer's over because we get so little of it. But I am excited that the summer's over. It is my favorite time of year. And it is the first week of September, which means that it is the opening week of hunting season. Can you smell it in the air? Man, I'm so excited. One of my favorite pastimes of Montana, of being in Montana, is bow hunting. It is uh, one of my passions. I love it. And I have made up my mind this year that I'm going to be a better hunter in 2021 than I was in 2020. Now, if we're being honest, it's not going to be that hard. Um, I had no idea what I was doing last year, uh, but I made up my mind I'm going to be a better hunter this year. And uh, now I'm not saying I'm going to go shoot a big bull, okay? No, a big bull elk. Um, But I am saying that it won't be for a lack of trying, that's for sure. (laughs) So I'm going to get out there as much as I can. And this year, I have a leg up in my search and my quest for my ultimate prize. Um, And that's that I've made a friend this year who is an expert hunter. (laughs) And he has taken me under his wing like he's the Miyagi to my Daniel son. He's my hunting sensei. And so big shout out to Nate for being my hunting sensei. Appreciate you, bro. Uh, and Nate has been teaching me all that I need to, to know about hunting. And most recently, the lesson that he showed me, that he taught me, was taught me how to glass. Now, if you're not familiar with a spot and stalk hunt, which is the primary type of hunting you do out in, in Montana, especially Western Montana, um, a spot and stalk hunt, you need to be able to glass. And what glassing is, is you get up on a ridge or a hillside or mountainside, and you have a good vantage point of the area that you're looking to hunt. And you look through a spotting scope or some binoculars, and you're looking for that elk or that deer or the bear or whatever the prize is that you're hunting after. You look and you try and find it. And Nate took me out and taught me this awesome lesson of how to do it. And, and we even got our eyes in some elk. Yeah, buddy, I'm excited about that. Uh, it, was, it was really, really cool. And it taught me a really important lesson of how important it is um, when you're hunting to be able to get your eyes on the thing that you're seeking after. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Now, I would have started uh, you know, trying to, to glass and spot and scout Earlier, maybe like last month, I would have tried to start doing it. I've only been doing it for a couple weeks. Um, But I couldn't. I was kept from being able to do this thing um, because we had a little thing that was happening around that time. Uh, And even if I would have tried very, very hard, I would have hiked up to the highest point of the mountain and I would have looked through my spotting scope um, or my binoculars, all I would have seen was a white cloud of smoke, right? Because it is smoke season. 
And you know what? If there was no smoke out yesterday, but today there's smoke. And I think, uh, I know that happens a lot here, but I'm just going to thank God because it works for my illustration today. <laughs> there's a smoke season that takes place every time this year where there's the forest fires that happen all around the surrounding area, areas uh, you know, in Montana and outside Montana. You guys all know that they produce that smoke and it settles in really thick. Um, and I don't like it. I'm just being honest. I don't like it. There are times when... Uh, we're driving on the highway and you can't see, you know, four cars ahead of you because their smoke's so thick. Um, or you uh, can't see the beautiful creation that we have all around us. Can't go outside a, a lot. You know, it's rough on your, on your lungs. It's hard to breathe. You can't go outside and do hikes and all the stuff that we love to do out here in Montana. But my thing, the thing that I don't like the most is that it keeps me from being able to fix my eyes on the prize that I'm searching for when it comes every fall. I don't like that I don't like the limited visibility that comes with smoke season. Now, in the same way that we have a smoke season here in Missoula and in western Montana every year, we also have a spiritual smoke season. I believe that there's a time in our walk, uh, our time in our life where the smoke begins to set in and confusion and doubt starts to come and we can no longer see Jesus. Our view has been obstructed. Over the next couple weeks, we are going to take a look at two teachings that Jesus does. That's right. You get me for this week and next week. That's awesome. So over the next couple weeks, we're going to look at uh, two teachings that Jesus does during the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And see, Jesus gives these teachings during a moment where he sees that the smoke has settled in. Confusion and doubt has started over who Jesus is. So the first story that we're going to read is found in John chapter 7, verse 25 through 43. Now, I want you guys to turn there, and I need you to actually turn there or open it up on your phone or whatever it is, because I need to give you a little background on what's happening here, okay? So the Feast of Tabernacles, if you don't know, the Feast of Tabernacles was made to celebrate the, uh, the end of the harvest, and it was made to, to uh, remind them of God's provision for the Israelites as they moved through the wilderness after they left Egypt, that God provided for them. And so it was commanded in Scripture that they would have this Feast of Tabernacles, or, or they're called by many names in Scripture, Festival of Tabernacles, tabernacles. And, um, and they would honor God and honor God's provision for that. And it lasted seven, maybe eight days. Now, during that fe- the Feast of Tabernacles, there's lots of rituals. Particularly, there was one ritual that I want to focus on today, and it was a drink offering that had to be made every day. Every day, the priest would walk all the way down, a long road from the temple, all the way down to the Pool of Siloam. Now, if you're not familiar with the Pool of Siloam, that's where Jesus, uh, he spit in the dirt, and he, and he picked it up, and he rubbed it in the blind man's eyes, and he said, go wash in the Pool of Siloam. And the guy did. He went and washed his, the, the mud out of his eyes. Weird thing for Jesus to do. But he, the guy washed the mud out of his eyes. And it's a huge miracle. So famous. And I'm sure most of you guys know that story, right? Well, the Pool of Siloam, what makes it so significant is it's the only place in Jerusalem where someone can go and get living water. And the way that the Jews viewed water was that there was idle water or still water. That's, that's like water that fell from the sky and collected in a pool. And I know not many of you guys, um, I hope none of you guys would go and like scoop some of that water up, that still water that fell from the sky and drink it, right? It's pretty much death. It's like prone to bacteria and all that stuff. But living water was fed by a natural spring. And now for us in Montana, we're like, we have that all around us. Like there's so many. Um, but in Jerusalem, there's only one. It's called the Gahon Spring. 
The cone spring uh, went through a tunnel made by King Hezekiah, and it went under the walls of, of Jerusalem, and it fed into the pool of Siloam. And so the pool of Siloam was the only source of what they considered living water. And so the priest would go, he'd walk all the way down from the temple, he'd come and he'd, he'd scoop up the living water in his pitcher or cistern or whatever it may be, and he would walk it back to the temple and he'd pour it out every day for seven days. And as we come into our story, these people have witnessed this. They're in the middle of witnessing this ritual taking place over and over for seven days. So we're going to jump in at verse 25. It says, at this point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? And here he is speaking publicly. They are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man's from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. Then Jesus, teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. But I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I'm from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I'm with you only for a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. And you will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and in a loud voice said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity that I have to bring the word, God. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to communicate the word that you've given me for today uh, effectively, God. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you for the word that you have today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So what was going on right here? During this ritual, during the Feast of Tabernacles, as the priest is going every day, Jesus is sitting there teaching, and the people are so confused over who Jesus is. They're going back and forth. He's got to be the Messiah, right? No normal man could do these things. And still, other people are chiming back in. They're saying, no, 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 the, the, the Messiah, uh, we, would, we, would, we won't know where he's from. And we know this guy. That's Jesus. He's Mary and Joseph's son. Uh, we know him. He can't be the Messiah. And still, other people are, are chiming in. But the Messiah, is the Messiah going to do more signs than this? There's confusion that has come over the crowd. See, a fire had started and confusion came over the crowd. The smoke had settled in thick and the people could not see that the Son of God was in their midst. See, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he had already uh, uh, fed the 5,000, walked on water, healed countless people, and taught with wisdom that no man could have taught him. And still, their view of Christ was obstructed and it was obstructed by their knowledge. It was obstructed by what they thought they knew about Jesus of Nazareth. See, the people of God could not get past what they thought they knew. Their earthly knowledge was the source of the smoke that limited their visibility. Can I tell you that we still have the same struggle? Our view of Christ is still obstructed by earthly wisdom. Our visibility is still limited by our truth. 
See, the smoke season that I'm talking about, that spiritual smoke season, it's created by our trust in earthly wisdom. The Jews thought they knew who Jesus was. Maybe some of them had seen him grow up from the area. They're familiar with him. That that can't be the Messiah. We know Jesus. He's from Galilee. He's not. He's from Nazareth. He's not from Bethlehem where, you know, the, the, the Messiah is supposed to come from. That can't be, be, be the Messiah. We know this guy. We know, that's Mary and Joseph's kid. We know his brothers. That can't be him. And they thought that they knew who the Messiah would be. See, they thought the Messiah would come down reigning with the sword and wreak havoc to anybody who, who had oppressed Israel. They thought they knew who Jesus was, and they thought they knew who the Messiah would be. And even though the fact that their knowledge was severely flawed, they trusted in their knowledge. And because they did so, the smoke began to settle in, and confusion and doubt started. And they could no longer see who was in front of them. How often do we do this today? How often are we deceived by what we think we know? We're met with so many situations in our life, whether it's an interaction with or a relationship that we have with someone, and, and we go into it and we, we use our knowledge in order to, 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 um, to work our way through that situation. And so many times we see it crash and burn. And it's no wonder because we've spent our whole entire life gaining earthly knowledge. Yeah. We've gone to school our whole lives. We learned uh, uh, mathematic equations and science and all that stuff that taught us that we need to be able to, to see something and come up with a hypothesis and make sure it's proven before we can believe it, right? I know nothing about science. That could have been completely wrong. <laughs> we go through relationships. And every relationship we have, whether it is a romantic relationship or a, um, a, a friendship or a parental relationship, whatever relationship we have, we go through all of these relationships and we learn knowledge from those relationships. And we take that knowledge and the new people that we build relationships, we take that knowledge and we bring it into those relationships. Some people call that baggage. (laughs) But I'm going to refer to it as knowledge. (laughs) We take our knowledge and we bring it into the situations that we're going to face. How about on the internet? I mean, on the internet and social media, we're constantly told on social media what success looks like or you know, what happiness looks like. And if our life doesn't measure up to that, you know, then we need, we're not doing something right. We need to change what we're doing in order to, to fit that image. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that all earthly knowledge has no value. You know, don't go taking your kids out of school. They need to know their multiplication tables. <laughs> Otherwise, they'll end up pastoring a church, <laughs> been a pastor in a church like this guy. <laughs> No. The problem is that earthly, we use earthly knowledge to make definitive statements about ourselves and the world we live in and the situations that we face and the people that surround us. We use our, the, the knowledge that we've gained all over our life and, and we use it to make those statements about everything. And Christ comes and he confronts all of our earthly knowledge that we spent our whole entire life collecting. He confronts it with heavenly wisdom, heavenly knowledge. He says, I know you've learned in school that you need to be able to see something in front of you um, before you can believe it. But I'm going to tell you this, you need to believe without seeing. And we're like, whoa, Jesus, how could that possibly be? We've learned our entire life that we need to have proof in front of us. We're totally thrown off guard. 
Or maybe we have a relationship with someone who's been coming against us and the world has taught us, all of our knowledge of the world has taught us that if someone gets you, you get them right back, right? And we're getting right ready to, you know, clock them one and Jesus is like, hey, you need to like turn the other cheek and, and pray for your enemy and you need to love them. And we're like, what? what? That doesn't match up with what I've learned my entire life. Jesus comes and he confronts earthly knowledge with heavenly wisdom and and he leaves us with a choice that we have to make. And more often that than not, we choose to lean on our earthly wisdom. See, but the problem is, the proverb says that when we choose to lean on earthly wisdom, or rather, it says, when we reject knowledge, when we reject heavenly knowledge, that's when the smoke begins to settle in. And soon, Proverbs says, we won't be able to see Jesus at all. Proverbs 1, 28 through 31 says, Then they will call to me, but I will not answer them. They will look for me, but will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. See, when we rely on earthly wisdom, the smoke settles in. And by putting, because by putting our trust in our own understanding, we have initiated separation between us and the Father. I want to say that again because I butchered it. It says, when we rely on earthly wisdom, the smoke settles in because by putting our trust in our own understanding, we have initiated separation between ourselves and the revelation of the Father. Rodney Whitaker in his commentary in the book of John says, part of God's judgment is to withdraw access to his revelation. Man, that's a heavy word. But Jesus knew this. And he sees the crowd of people and he sees the smoke begin to descend. He knows that there's a fire in the area and the smoke begins to descend and confusion and doubt have taken over and they no longer can see who's in front of them. And Jesus is trying to get them back, trying to get them to see through the smoke. Can I tell you that Jesus sees the cloud of smoke that's settled in over our world too? He sees that confusion and doubt has settled in and he's trying to draw us back to his side so he can give us revelation. It's a terrifying thought for both them and us. And you, you may say, hey, that's in the Old Testament. It's not for me. The problem is that the New Testament echoes this warning. See, Proverbs 31 is a warning that if we continue to reject the wisdom and knowledge and the truth that Christ, uh, the truth of Christ, that we will be left to our own ways, our own thoughts, and unable to find our way back to Christ. And in Hebrews 26, it says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of truth, no further sacrifice for sins remains, but only a fearful expectation of the judgment and raging fire. In Romans 1, 24 through 25, it says, Therefore God gave them over to the desires of their hearts, to, the, uh, uh, to impurity, for the dishonoring of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like the world that we live in. Yeah. They've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Yeah. And we live our life in this world and the world is asking us to go along with what they have said. They're asking us to, to use the earthly knowledge and the earthly wisdom that we've gathered our whole life. And they're asking us to use that and to go with that. But Jesus is saying, if you lean on your own wisdom instead of heavenly wisdom, you will eventually get to a place where you will not be able to find me. Yeah. Yeah. 
See, the world has created a separation between themselves and the revelation of the Father. Would you agree with that? Thankfully, that doesn't have to be our fate. See, because in the middle of doubt and confusion, Jesus stands up and he calls people back to truth. And that's what he's doing right now. He's standing up and he's calling us back to his truth. During this festival, like I said, the priest gets the living water out of the pool of Siloam and he walks all the way back and he pours it out in the altar. And they've seen it happen seven times. And after the seventh time, on the last day, Jesus stands up and in a loud voice, in the way that it's written there in the original language, it says it's meaning like he's calling all of the attention to himself. And he says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. And if you believe in me, rivers of living water will flow from within you. He's once again, he's calling into question everything that they know. He's saying, you think that that's living water? I have real living water for you. I have real living water for you. Come to me if you're thirsty. Church, have you ever been thirsty? Like really thirsty? You know, maybe not like, you know, at Tom Hanks and Castaway when he's on the boat and his like lips are cracked and all that kind of thirsty. But maybe like you had a burger and fries for lunch and you're like really dehydrated and you haven't, you haven't had any drink of water since, since lunch and you just got home and you're like, got a headache because you're dehydrated and like maybe try and work out and like your muscles are cramping. You're seeing the side effects of being very thirsty. See, your body will show side effects because your body was made to live on water and you haven't given your body the thing that it was made to survive on. And sure, you could disguise that for a while, right? You could have a Gatorade or a soda or a coffee. And it might quench that immediate thirst that you have, but ultimately your body will still show signs of dehydration because you haven't given your body the thing that it was meant, meant to survive on. And so it will break down. And if you go too long without water, you will die. Now, in the same way that your body was made to live on water, your soul was made to live on God. It was made to live on living water. And the longer that you are away from God, the more separation that you cause from leaning on your own understanding, the more thirsty that you will find yourself. And when you're thirsty, you'll start to see the signs of that spiritual dehydration happening in your life. And your, your life will start to crumble apart. And you'll be like, I don't know what's happening. And I'm desperate for something to change in my life. And you'll try and fill it with temporary satisfaction, whether it's drugs or alcohol or, or, or the pursuit of money or your career or just investing, you know, uh, uh, you know, or your family or whatever it may be. You'll try and meet that satisfaction, but none of that will, meet, will, will, will satisfy you. None of that will quench your spiritual thirst because it's not what you were designed to live off of. And just like your natural body, your spirit and your life will crumble. And Jesus looks out into the crowd and he sees people who are spiritually dehydrated. He looks out amongst the smoke of confusion that's happening at the Feast of Tabernacles. He looks out over our world currently and he, he sees the smoke of confusion and he sees people that are desperate and thirsty but they don't know what they're thirsty for. And Jesus says, come to me if you're thirsty. Come to me and I will give you something. I'll give you the only thing that will quench your thirst. I'll give you living water. 
That's what he's offering, living water, a spring of living water flowing from within us. Jeremiah 17, 13 says, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written to the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. See, Jesus is the spring of living water. His spirit, the same spirit that dwelled within Jesus, the spirit of the living God is a spring of living water. And that is what Jesus is offering us. He's offering to make his spirit, spirit of the living God, dwell within us, which is an incredible thing. It's incredible because when we receive that spirit, here's what happens. The gap is closed. The separation that we once caused is closed. Our thirst and our desperation is quenched for good because living water never runs dry. And we live our life always satisfied because living water always satisfies. It's what our soul needs. It's what it was meant to live off of. And I think of Paul writing and saying, I, I, I've learned to live with little and I've learned to live with much, but I know that in all things I can do I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. See, Paul knew that it was Jesus, the Spirit of God that lived inside of him that was strengthening him. And so he says, I can be content in all things. See, living water always satisfies, no matter what your situation in life is. And living water renews your life. You had that burger and fries, and you're so dehydrated, you had your headache, and you drink some water, and maybe after like 45 minutes, your, your, your body starts to kind of come back to life a little bit, right? Maybe your headache goes away. But when you have living water, your life is renewed. It's not just restoring what you once had. It's making you into a new creature. Titus 3.5 says he saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is renewing us. It's providing us all of the power and strength that we need to face the day, right? The spirit of the living God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it dwells within us and it is our strength. It's our power to face the day. Living water is wisdom, heavenly wisdom. Jesus said, stop Leaning, stop trusting on what you know and come to me so that I can give you wisdom. Yeah. Not wisdom that will push you farther from God, but wisdom that will draw you closer to the Father. John 16, 13 through 15 says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth and he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. See, Jesus is saying here in John 16, he's saying everything, all of the wisdom, all of the power, all of the strength, everything that belongs to the Father belongs to Jesus. And because that Spirit is living within us, that Jesus is supplying the Spirit with everything that we need to face what's in front of us. We have all of the wisdom that we need everything that we need to face what's in front of us. And suddenly, the way that we interact in our life is different. Suddenly, the enemy that we once, we once wanted to hit, we're praying for and we're loving them. Yeah. 
Suddenly, the mountain that was in front of us that we used to think, we'll never get past that. Suddenly, we're declaring to the mountain to be moved. Or we're scaling the top of it because he's made our feet like the feet of a deer that we could climb mountains. Suddenly, when the storm rages and we used to cry and weep and be so terrified for what's happening in our life, now we're sleeping like Jesus did on the boat. When we have the spirit living inside us, when we have living water flowing from within us, it is supplying everything we need and we are content and, and, and we are strong and we are renewed and we are wise because we have the wisdom of the Father. Come on. And unlike earthly wisdom, the kind that we have to go out and seek from all these sources and, and, and receive, heavenly wisdom will flow from within us. See, in the middle of the smoke, in the middle of the confusion and doubt that had settled in because we trusted and leaned on our own understanding, Jesus stands up and he says, let me offer you a way to see through the smoke. Let me offer you a way to see things clearer. You know, it was a difficult week. As many of you know, we lost a beloved member of our River of Life family. On Tuesday, Robert O'Masters went to be home, went home to be with Jesus. Now, I've only been a part of this family for about a year and a half, maybe a little over that. But even in that year and a half, I've gotten to know Robert quite a bit. You know, he was a carpenter, he was a horseshoer, he was a poet. At one point, he even told me that he made like these elaborate chandeliers out of like elk sheds that he would find in the woods. He was a good man and he was a servant of God. I learned really quick that God was always speaking to Robert. And often the, the first thing that I'd say to him was, Robert, what's God revealing to you this week? And he would immediately start, many of you guys have had a similar conversation with him. And he'd come and he'd tell me about, oh man, God gave me this dream and he was showing me this, or, or God gave me this poem and he'd like recite the poem right there. He wouldn't need to pull out words or something, you know, it, he would just recite the words. He had memorized them because God had spoken to them to him. He would tell me about times where he would pray. God would wake him up in the middle of the night and the Lord would be telling him, hey, you're not looking at the situation the right way. Robert would tell me that God would give him new vision and he'd help him to see it how Jesus wanted him to see it. that the Lord would give him revelation. And he was all the way, like that all the way up until the last time that I spoke to him. This is when he was in the hospital. I called and I prayed over him. And after I was done praying for him, even though he was struggling to breathe a bit, he said, Pastor Seth, I want to tell you what God has been speaking to me. And I was like, all right, Robert, go ahead, man. And he said, I'm laying here in my hospital bed and the Lord told me, you're not looking at this the right way. And I said, I'm sorry, Jesus. And he, and he has this prayer time that he has with Jesus. And the Lord meets him right there in the hospital room, he tells me. And he says, 
that the Lord gave him new vision and revelation of how he should view the circumstance that he was going through. And then he told me, Pastor Seth, the Lord has removed all of my doubt. And honestly, I don't know that it hit me when I was on the phone with him. But as I was writing this message and thinking about Robert, I just began to think, the Lord removed all of his doubt. What? See, I believe that when Robert was in that hotel or, or in the hospital room, that God saw that there was some confusion and doubt. There was a smoke had begun to settle in. And Jesus once again stood up and said, Robert, let me show you. Let me give you some vision. Let me show you how to look at this. And Robert, being the man of God that he was, didn't hesitate but to say, God, show me what you have for me. And God met him there and removed all of his doubt. Now, he told me that God removed all of his doubt. But here's what I think he meant by that, because God doesn't come in our life and just separate us from unbelief, right? But what I think happened is that God appeared to Robert, and he revealed to himself a revelation. He revealed himself in a way that Robert could no longer doubt. And the more that I reflected on what his last words to me, Pastor Seth, the Lord removed all of my doubt. Man, it struck me. It struck me. Because I knew that the Lord had met with him and showed himself in a way that all of us will strive to one day meet. Amen. Jesus met Robert and he said, come and drink. Drink the revelation that I have for you. And Robert received that call from Christ and God rid him of all the doubt and now he's worshiping at the feet of Jesus in heaven. You know, Robert, for as, long, for as much as I've known him, for the year and a half that I've known him, his main priority was always seeking revelation from God. And this loss, it stings for us as a church. It stings. But can I tell you, I refuse to mourn the way that the world mourns. I refuse to mourn the way that the world mourns. But instead, instead, I will rejoice knowing that the thing that Robert had spent the better part of his life seeking after God for, he is now experiencing the full revelation of who God is. And the same call that Jesus made on that final day of the tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles, the one that he made to Robert, he's making it right here, right now. He's saying, are you thirsty? Do you see the side effects of your spiritual dehydration in your life? Do you see your life crumbling apart and no matter what you do to try and plug that hole, the boat just keeps sinking? Are you thirsty? Can you see it in your life? And if you are, come and drink. Come and give your soul the one thing that it was made 
to survive on. And I love how easy it is. Because all you have to do to drink from the cup of Christ is believe. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow through them. And when you do make that choice to believe, get ready. Because the power and the spirit of the living God will now dwell within you. And your whole life will be changed. The way that you interact with people will be changed. The way that you respond to the things that happen in your life, it will be changed. Because you're not looking through a cloud of smoke anymore. But you're seeing with the eyes of Christ, you're seeing clear. And that's what he's calling you to. Clear vision, not limited vision. Choose to trust in the heavenly wisdom that Christ is offering you instead of leaning on your own. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. I thank you, Lord God, that even when we're confused, God, even when we're so full of doubt, Lord, you stand and you offer us revelation. You stand and you are longing to give us truth, God. I thank you, Lord God, that you don't just leave us there, but you call us back to your side, Lord. And Lord, I pray that we would, we would not continue to, to exchange the truth of God for a lie, Lord God. We would not continue to, to create that separation between us and the revelation of the Father. But we would trust you and your words and your wisdom. We would trust that you will lead us, that by your spirit you will lead us into all truth. We believe that. Now I want to give you a chance to respond to God's call today. If you're in this place and you say, man, I'm thirsty. You just lift your hand, all eyes closed, no one looking around. You say, man, my life's falling apart. I'm thirsty. I see you. And if you're in this room and you say, you know what, I've, I didn't see it like this before, but I believe that I've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And I don't know how I end, got, ended up here. Would you just be bold and raise your hand? We're going to worship in a second. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward. The prayer team is going to be up here, and they want to pray with you. But it's not a complicated step. There's no 12 steps to get to, to the water that Christ has for you. It's one step. Believe. So I'm going to pray that over you, that your heart would be opened, and that you would receive what he has for you, that you would believe that the Lord would quench your thirst. Father, I pray it over every person in this place and that's watching, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that you would 
and meet them where they're at right now, Lord God, that they would feel the boldness, Lord God, stirred by your Holy Spirit, that they would rise up, Lord God, and, and choose, Lord God, to respond to your call. Lord, you are standing up in the middle of the crowd, in the middle of the confusion, in the middle of the doubt, Lord. You're standing up, and you are calling us, calling out, is anyone thirsty, Lord God? Well, we're responding, Jesus. We're thirsty, Lord, and we need you in this place, God. We need you in our life, Lord. We cannot afford to live on, wisdom, on our own wisdom and to lean on our own wisdom, Lord. We are wanting to trust you, Lord God. And so we declare in this moment, we declare in this moment, we believe. Come on, if you're thirsty and you want the living water that Christ has for you, would you just say that with me? I believe. Come on, one more time like you mean it. I believe. Father, we declare it. We've run to your feet. Fill us with the living water. Fill us with the water that will never run dry. Come and have your way in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.
Thanks for listening. River of Life is a ministry in East Missoula, Montana. We exist for one purpose, to make Jesus famous by showing his love to the lost, broken, and hurting. For more information, you can check us out online at rolmt.com. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, we'd love to talk to you about what comes next. Shoot us an email at nextstep at rolmt.com. Thanks. Thanks.